How many of you have heard of the evangelist John Wesley? Most of you. He said, when the possessor of heaven and earth placed you in this world, he placed you here not as owner, but as steward. Now, here's some amens, but there may be some in the crowd saying, okay, but what is a steward? What is stewardship? Ron Blue helps us there. He said, stewardship is the use of God-given resources for the accomplishment of God-given goals. I like that definition. As we continue looking at Jesus talking about his return, today we're going to focus on Jesus the master. And the, the encouragement for us is be a responsible steward as we wait for him and gain reward. As we dive into this, I want to say I agree personally with Thomas Constable of Dallas Theological Seminary who wrote, quote, the slaves in this parable represent Jews living during the tribulation not Christians living in the church age. Though this parable is applicable to us, end quote. In other words, they'll be awaiting his second coming at the end of that future seven-year tribulation. I believe the church today awaits the rapture before that tribulation. But there is a lesson here for us. Nonetheless, and it is a lesson about stewardship. So I invite you to dive in with me. Matthew 25, 14. Jesus says it, and you have to look back to figure out what the it was, the, the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. Now, some of you already have in mind what this journey is, right? It's, it's Jesus when he ascended back to heaven after the resurrection. Ephesians 4, 8 describes it. When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. The master left and he had trusted his property to his servants. Verse 15 talks about that property. As the one he gave five talents to another two to another one now in our culture in english we we hear the word talent and we think of a skill right that's not what jesus is talking about in this parable directly a talent in his culture was currency and you say five talents, two talents, one talent doesn't sound like that much it doesn't five two and one but if you do a little research one talent could equal up to 20 years wages for a laborer. One talent. So you do the math, put it in today's terms. Average, average wage in America is just over 50,000. So we'll round it to 50,000. Do a little quick math. Five talents today, we're talking 100 years wages, over $5 million. Okay, two talents, you're talking 40 years wages, over $2 million. 
even the guy with one talent, you're still talking about 20 years wages over $1 million. So a couple words come to mind when I think about all that. One, valuable. How valuable what, what the master has entrusted. The second word is his. While it's entrusted to his servants, it is his. Okay, let's go on. You say, what do the talents represent? This is a parable. And though there's much discussion about this, I believe they represent everything we are, everything we have. Everything. It all belongs to the Lord. It all belongs to the Creator. And think about the wild truth that He has entrusted it to you, to me. Why? To leverage for His glory, the spread of the gospel, and the good of others. Think about some of the treasures that he has entrusted to you and I. Just, just for a moment. The treasure of time. Those of you who like Petra, the old Christian rock band, they got a song that says, Time is a gift on loan. Right on point. The way the Old Testament says is, Every one of your days was written before one of them came to be. Spiritual gifts. Every believer has at least one spiritual gift. Do you know yours? You're gifted to be an important part of the body. Just to list a few from the New Testament, discernment, evangelism, exhortation, faith, giving, leadership. If you don't know what your spiritual gift is, come talk to us. We can help you explore that. We want you to know what that is so you can leverage it for God and his kingdom. Even natural talents. What are you just naturally good at? And maybe you've developed it over time. Some of you are really good with your hands. Some of you are good speakers. Some of you are great with, with details and numbers. That is not my department. In, in our home, that's Carolyn. In our church, I'm thankful for those who have come around us to, to fill that gap. Maybe, maybe you're, you're great with kids. Maybe you're good at sports. Maybe you're good with technology. I could go on, but what talents? Even, I believe, trials and triumphs that God has allowed into your life. Finances and possessions. Back to John Wesley, he understood that one. I don't know if you've heard this story where somebody came running up to John Wesley and said, your house just burned down. He said, that's impossible. No, John, your house burned to the ground. We saw it with our own eyes. He looked at him and said, that's impossible, you see. I don't have a house. I only manage that house for God. God's house just burned down. If he didn't put the fire out, then that's his problem. <laughs> He'll have to put me somewhere else. <laughs> so you see, not only the, the responsibility and the privilege of stewardship when we realize everything is his, you also see the trust that that can bring into our mindset if we embrace that. Verse 15, he goes on. says, that master gave to each servant according to his 
ability. He didn't give the same to each one. The master, think about this, he, he knows what is best for each one. I'm thinking of our master, Jesus Christ, God. He knows what's best for each one based on how he has made them. Okay? But even the one entrusted with one talent, think about it. We said that was 20 years wages. Even he was entrusted with a great, great amount. I think about that, and I want to encourage you with something, because I know this is a battle sometimes, but, but let's be aware of it. Never, ever complain to the Lord if he has not given you the same platform or opportunities as someone else. He made you. He knows what you are best wired for. Trust him. Trust him. Whatever he's given you, it is much. It is much. Then the master went away. And we're going to take a look at what the first two servants did with what was entrusted to them. In verse 16, he who had received the five talents went at once, at once, and, and traded with them. And he made five talents more. I see a couple things here. One, I see urgency. It says he went at once. He wasn't sitting around with what had been given to him. One, one reason some of the scholars brought out is, for one thing, he didn't necessarily know when the master was going to get back. We don't know when that trumpet's going to sound. He went at once. There was urgency. There was activity. He, he traded with what he had been given. Urgency, activity, and productivity. He made five talents more. And it was the same with the second. Verse 17, also he who had the two talents made two talents more. Third guy had a different response. Verse 18 says, he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. You notice the difference between him and the other two? I look at it and say, th this one was not urgent or, or active. He, he was passive. He was not productive. He was unproductive. He did not trade with the money. He, he hid it away. Verse 19. After a long time, this hints at the fact that the, the return may, may f feel long to us as humans, right? We, we know God's clock is different than ours. After a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. Now I want to talk to the believers in the room. Do you know that there will be a settling of accounts even for the believers? that we will all stand before the Bema seat of Christ. Believers, not, not to determine our salvation. That rests in Jesus Christ and his blood. Okay? Not to rehash sins which are forgiven at the cross, but to determine our reward or lack thereof based on what we've done with what he's entrusted to us. 
Now, you can look at that through a negative lens and say, man, I don't like that. Or you can look at it through a, a positive lens. I believe we have a master who wants to reward his servants. He didn't have to do that. He saved us for all eternity because that's it. But he wants to reward you. He wants to reward me. And because he's a judge whose eyes are like fire, I think it goes beyond the outward actions to the motivations. Why? Why did you do what you did? I want to look at some rewarding with these first two servants. Verse 20, he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents here. I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had the two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here, I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done. Good and faithful servant, you have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Did you notice anything interesting in his response to the guy who made five and the guy who made two? It was the same response. They each received three things. They each received a commendation. From the Lord. Some, some words I know some of you are longing for someday. Well done, good and faithful servant. What, what relief that would bring to their hearts as the master came back. Also, increased opportunity in his realm, in his kingdom. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. I, I believe, along with many others, that part of the reward for faithfulness here over a little is increased responsibility in the eternal kingdom. Commendation, increased opportunity in the kingdom, and joy unspeakable. Enter into the joy of your master. Master says, I have this joy, and I want to share it with you. Wow. Same response to the one who made two as the one who had made five. I think about that, and I want to share something that some of you need to hear this morning. Some of you may have an inner battle going on that you need set free from this morning. I'm just going to lay it out like this as a word of encouragement. God is not looking for equal output from all. He's looking for faithfulness with what he has entrusted to you. Now think about some of the relief that comes with that. You are not competing against Billy Graham. You are not competing against David Jeremiah or, or Kay Arthur or anyone else in God's kingdom or anyone else in this church. You are only called to be faithful to what he has given you. What has he given you? What has he given you? What about the third servant? He also, who had received the one talent, came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, 
reaping where you did not sow, and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. He hands him the one talent back. Three things I see about this guy and believe about this guy. Number one, this third servant does not really know the master. He doesn't really know him. Why do I say that? He accused him of being unjust, reaping where he does not sow. Is Jesus Christ unjust? <laughs> he is the epitome of justice and righteousness. He also accused the master of being a hard master. Listen, those of you who follow Jesus Christ as his as believers, is Jesus a hard master? What does he tell us from his own lips in Matthew 11, verse 28? He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Why? Because it's with him in his power. He's not unjust and he's not a hard master. I believe this third servant did not really know the master. Second, do you notice he blames the master for his own failure? Right? Because I knew this about you, this is what I did. That goes all the way back to the garden, right? And probably into your life and mine at times. You remember what Adam said when he got called on the carpet? It was the woman you gave me. He blames the master for his own failure. That's the victim mentality, right? My, my failings are your fault. My sins are your fault. Does the master uh, condone the victim mentality? Not a bit. Look at his response in verse 26. His master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. I'm going to paraphrase the master as saying, look, the problem is not with me. It's with you. You're wicked and you're lazy. Third thing I see about this third servant, his logic is faulty. The, the master says, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed, then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. In other words, if you thought I was a hard man and unjust, you should have tried to do something with it to make sure I was pleased when I got back. This leads to the question, why do you think he hid it away? You gotta understand something about that culture. People often buried money and treasure in the dirt in that culture. Banks were not insured like they are today. They weren't always the safest place to put your money. It was a safe thing to do, to bury the talent he had been given. And when I look at that and I look at what the master said to him, I, I draw a conclusion. It, it tells us something about faithful discipleship, faithful following of Jesus. Discipleship and safety do not always go together. 
Discipleship and comfort or convenience do not always go together. In fact, they often do not. Discipleship involves risking, and I put it in quotes because we're trusting the Lord, involves risking the things of earth for the priorities of heaven. You don't believe me? Ask Moses. Ask Moses, who left a life of Egyptian royalty to lead slaves to freedom. Ask Paul, who left a life of religious prestige and respect as a Pharisee for a life of being persecuted for Jesus Christ. It brings me to the question today, what do we venture for God's kingdom. When's the last time we we dared to speak to a coworker or family member or friend or neighbor about salvation in, in Jesus Christ? Kids in school, when's the last time you said no to a friend or or someone you're dating because you knew the thing they were pushing you toward would break the heart of your Savior? When's the the last time I shared from what I have to help someone in need or or further the the cause of the kingdom? God is putting a ministry opportunity on my heart in the church. Will, Will I say yes? And let me step back from all my suggestions there and just leave it between you and the Holy Spirit. What has the Lord been putting on your heart lately? Where's he been calling? It may be someplace you know may cost you something in in one way or another. It may invade your schedule. It may invade your wallet. It may invade your convenience. But will you step out of the boat and come to where the master is? Will you venture for his kingdom? This man buried it in the name of safety. And there was a tragic outcome for this fellow. Verse 28. Master said, take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now those of you who know your Bibles are familiar with those phrases, outer darkness, weeping and gnashing of teeth. And as you look through the book of Matthew, I believe it usually means eternal punishment in hell. What does this tell us about this third servant? I believe this man's fruit or lack thereof showed his roots. I believe he was not a true follower of the master, not a true follower of Jesus Christ. He didn't know him, didn't love him, didn't trust him, didn't serve him. So the most important question every one of us will wrestle with this morning is, do you know the master? Jesus Christ? Have you trusted him as your Savior? 
I think about that and what this man said about the master being hard. And there, there are many today who think of God as a, a hard master. I think of those who sit in pairs on chairs with bookstands at parks, talking to people in the cold. I think of those who come two by two to your door. Many of them sadly believe that if you want salvation, you must wrench it from God's hands, at least in part by sweat and toil. They believe in a hard master. Many of them are motivated by fear. And I think we should be a church who prays that they come to know the true master described in Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2.4 says, God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, unmerited favor, you have been saved. Many of us in this room believe that. But as I pondered that, if we have received the grace of God that comes as a gift through faith in Jesus Christ, let me ask you a question. Do, do we have an excuse for laziness? <laughs> Absolutely not. In fact, we have a much higher motivation than fear could ever be. You know what it is? It's love. It is love. 1 John 4.18, there's no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. When you realize God loves you so much, he sent his son to die for you, you don't need any more motivation than that. Think about it. God has not only given us time, spiritual gifts, natural talents. He's given his very son for you. For me, 2 Corinthians 5, Paul makes the connection between the cross and our motivation. He says, Christ's love compels us. It, it drives us forward because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. Listen to the application. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. You see how the cross becomes the motivation of the believer for faithful stewardship. I think about this, and many of you know a couple in this church that, that just moved down to Tucson. A couple with a young son called overseas, hoping to get there by August or September. Called to a place that, that has become a, a war zone. And I asked them, especially in light of having a young son, that I said, how does all of this affect your plans? You know what the, the dad said to me? He said, it's, it's more urgent now. He said, I, I recently heard of a bus driver there who, who went to pick up some people and take them out of the war zone, and he was so distraught just by what he saw after the fact, he took his own life. The father in that family said, I want to be there to share Jesus with people like him. You talk about venturing for the kingdom. 
I think about that, and I want to close with a fictional story. You may have heard it before, just to drive home how much God has entrusted to you and to me. After Jesus ascended to heaven, the angel Gabriel approached him and said, Master, you must have suffered terribly for men down there. I did, he said. And Gabriel continued, do they know all about how you love them and what you did for them? Oh, no, said Jesus, not yet. Right now, only a handful of people in Palestine know. Gabriel was perplexed. What have you done then to let everyone know about your love for them? Jesus said, I've asked Peter, James, and John, a few more friends, to tell other people about me. Those who are told will in turn tell still other people about me, and my, my story will be spread to the farthest reaches of the globe. Ultimately, all the nations will have heard about my life, what I have done. Gabriel frowned and looked rather skeptical. He knew well what poor stuff men were made of. But what if Peter and James and John grow weary? What if the people who come after them forget? What if way down in the 21st century, people just don't tell others about you? Haven't you made any other plans? And Jesus answered, I haven't made any other plans. I'm counting on them. 20 centuries later, Jesus still has no other plan. There is no plan B. He counted on his early disciples, and they delivered. He's counting on you, and he's counting on me. It may or may not be overseas in a war zone, but let me ask you this morning, believer, where is he calling you? Where is he calling you to urgency? Where is he calling you to activity? Where is he calling you to productivity? And how will we respond? I pray that everyone in this room will be among those who hear those precious words. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Lord, this parable is almost overwhelming when we think about the great treasures that belong to you, that you have entrusted to us. I pray for each one of us who's believers that your spirit will work in our lives to show us where, where to be urgent, where to be active, where to be productive, and, and, and compel us forward in your love, out of love for you, to follow, to venture out for the kingdom. I pray for any in this room that say, I don't know the master. I'm like that third guy. I've had these mischaracterizations of him all along, and this morning I've heard of a God of mercy who sent his son. Draw them to the foot of the cross. For the master also became the servant who laid down his life as a ransom for our sin. I pray that you draw him up to the prayer team at the end of the service to talk to someone about making that important decision. As we prepare for communion, I pray that our focus on the cross would, would compel us forward 
to be faithful stewards for you and your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.